I'd like you to imagine a world that has achieved a perfect utopia. A place where people are happy with their lives. No one ever complains about anything. There's no need to. Anxiety, depression, fear, sadness. These are all in the past. In this world, everyone belongs to everyone else. This world is perfect. To borrow a phrase from William Shakespeare's The Tempest, oh brave new world that has such people in it. This was the world that an English writer by the name of Aldous Huxley created. A perfect society, a utopia. However, if you know anything about utopias, then you know that no such thing can exist. And it does not exist in Huxley's brave new world. In fact, the world that Huxley created here is better described as a dystopia, a beautiful nightmare. The truth is, Huxley wrote this novel to warn the people of the world of what would happen if they followed the motto of community, identity, and stability. Huxley was afraid of where the world was going and how easily the world was controlled by those in power. This was his nightmare. This was the reason for the book. To prevent the world from becoming mindless drones. And nearly a century after the book's publication, Huxley's nightmare has become a reality. It has become our reality. I'm Professor Reed, and this is Lit Books. When Aldous Huxley published Brave New World back in 1932, the novel didn't fare too well. It wasn't because Huxley was some no-name writer. On the contrary, he was already an established writer with other books such as Chrome Yellow and Point Counterpoint. In fact, Brave New World was his fifth novel. The reason it didn't fare well was because of what the novel promoted. Sex, drugs, and anti-religion. This caused the book to be banned in places like Ireland and gave many teachers problems when trying to study the book in their classes. But before we jump into this dystopian rabbit hole, I believe it's important to understand where Huxley was coming from. He once said that the inspiration for Brave New World came from the early novels of H.G. Wells, the writer of The Time Machine, in which Wells coined the term Time Machine, and War of the Worlds. But the specific inspiration Huxley received from Wells was from the novels A Modern Utopia and Men Like Gods. These were optimistic utopian novels that were common for the time period. Remember, during 1930s America, the Great Depression was taking place, so no one wanted to read some depressing BS. Reality had that covered already. No, they wanted to read about a brighter tomorrow, and rightfully so. And in places like England, Huxley's homeland, the fact that he wrote a book that went against a positive utopia was heresy. It was also seen as pornographic. You'll see why soon. But despite all those things, Huxley wanted to write a nightmarish utopia. Why? The reason was due to Huxley's disgust of the youth's culture at the time. This was circa 1930s. Commercial happiness and sexual promiscuity. Keep in mind, these were observations Huxley made while visiting America. 
All this was just the sum of Huxley's fear of a world where the per a person had lost their individual identity. It is no surprise that Huxley saw the culture of the youth, commercial happiness, and sexual promiscuity as disgusting. The man himself detested mass culture and popular entertainment. A lot of his work, especially his critical essays, consist of sneers and jeers at the cinematic ethic and the vulgarity of commercial music. In other words, the man was not a fan of what we call mainstream entertainment. If his novel is any indicator of his mind, then it is safe to say that he believed popular entertainment was designed to brainwash the public, to strip the people of their individual identity. And when you stop to think about it for a moment, he's got a point. Think about it. Our own mass culture tells us what we need in order to be successful or up to date. How many celebrities tell us what we need in order to look beautiful? How many corporations tell us what we need to be successful? Something to think about. Now, whether Huxley was influenced by the anti-utopian novel We by Yavgeny Zamyatin, Russian author, is the subject of much debate. George Orwell was convinced that Huxley straight up ripped the ideas found in Brave New World from We. If you're not sure who George Orwell is, well, let me refresh your mind. George Orwell, or Eric Blair, his real name, was the English writer who wrote the classic Animal Farm in 1984. The latter one is the novel that has the phrase Big Brother is watching. Of course, if Orwell maintains that Huxley ripped off We, then it can be said that Orwell ripped off Brave New World. And that's fine, because each novel brings their own ideas of a dystopia to the dialogue created within the literary world. This dialogue is still going on even to this day with such novels as The Handmaid's Tale, The Hunger Games, The Road, etc. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Huxley was Orwell's French teacher. Huxley, aside from being a writer, was also a teacher at Eton College, Huxley originally hoped to become a doctor, but contracted a serious eye infection as an adolescent. He lost most of his vision from this infection, so he decided to pursue his other passion, writing. But before he could launch his career as a writer, he became a teacher. With his scientific interests and his observations of the public, Huxley put his mind to work and began to see what the future could look like if the public continued to practice commercial happiness and sexual promiscuity that is, consumerism in a hedonistic lifestyle. That last part is interesting because Huxley and his first wife had an open marriage and even shared the same bed of the same female lover, Mary Hutchinson. Even so, while Huxley was fine with this type of lifestyle for himself, he saw something frightening that he felt would be the end of the individual person if too many people were to pursue this type of lifestyle with the addition of commercial happiness. So, during a stay in France in 1931, Huxley wrote Brave New World. And what is Brave New World about? What is it about this novel that is so frightening that many, it seems, try to keep its message hidden? What follows is a partial summary of the novel. That's right, partial. I don't want to spoil all the fun if you haven't read the book. Well now, let's get into it. The novel opens with the following passage. 
a squat gray building of only 34 stories. Over the main entrance, the words Central London Hatchery and Conditioning Center, and in a shield, the world state's motto, Community Identity Stability. If you paid attention, you should have caught the name of that building. Central London Hatchery and Conditioning Center. The words hatchery and conditioning stand out here. This place is aptly named because in this building, in this world, people are manufactured. They are literally grown in test tubes, there's your hatchery, and rolled along an assembly line. Then, depending on what class of human they are, they either remain in incubators or brought out of the incubators to undergo what's known as the Bakanovsky process. The Bakanovsky process basically takes a fertilized egg and multiplies it. So, if we started off with eight eggs and placed them through this process, those eight eggs would become 96 eggs. That's 96 embryos, 96 full-sized adults. If you thought this sounds a lot like human cloning, well, you're right. That's exactly what it is. In other words, genetic engineering, which is amazing considering that this novel was written in 1931, published in 1932. Huxley was ahead of his time. The whole point of engineering here in the world state, the setting of this brave new world, is to achieve social stability. That is, having 96 happy people working in a factory. Let me break this thing down for you. In the world state, what the powers that be have done is created a way to mass produce humans. That means that people in this world state do not have sex for procreation anymore. No, people here have sex just for the sheer pleasure of it. In fact, procreation is looked down upon. Have as much sex as you can with as many people as possible, but don't get pregnant. And the world state has got you covered with contraceptives. So get busy with the people. That means multiple partners at once. It's all about them orgies. People also don't argue or get mad or jealous or anything. There are no feelings in this world state. No one poses any problems to anyone else. Everyone is happy. Oh, and there are no individual thoughts as well. While that may sound amazing, or perhaps you found it disgusting, I can assure you, as one who has read the book, this brave new world is a nightmare. While the world state may appear to be perfect, the truth about the way it's run is far from it. You see, the world state runs on something called the caste system. This caste system consists of alphas, betas, gammas, deltas, and epsilons. And if you are going to live in the world state, you want to make sure you are an alpha or a beta. Here's why. Alphas are intelligent, muscular, beautiful, overall healthy. Betas are about the same, except they're not as intelligent. And that's where that ends because the other casts have a terrible life. Gammas, deltas, and epsilons are, are they're mindless. The world state makes sure to deprive these casts of oxygen during their incubation period. By depriving the brain of oxygen at this stage in life, it weakens the brain and therefore does not allow it to grow, meaning intelligence flies out the window. So, the lower the cast, the more oxygen is deprived. This means the epsilons are essentially mindless, literally. While alphas and betas may be able to go around the world state acting like people today, the other casts do not. They are made specifically to work, and they enjoy doing it. In fact, 
They love working so much that that's all they do. They're not workaholics per se. They're just programmed to love their job and nothing else. That covers the hatchery portion of the world states. Next order of business is conditioning. If any of you out there in Radioland are familiar with psychology, then you know the term conditioning. In the simplest terms, conditioning is training someone or something to do something or behave in a specific way. The Russian physiologist Ivan Pavlov became well known when his classical conditioning experiment involving dogs went viral. Basically, he took dogs and fed them. But every time he would feed them, he would ring a bell. Over time, whenever the dogs would hear the sound of the bell, the dogs would salivate. This means that the dogs had associated the bell with food. In other words, they were trained to get hungry when they heard the bell. And this is the basis of what the world state does to its citizens. In the world state, children are raised together at the conditioning center. And no, the parents don't take them there to be educated. No, no. In this society, there are no parents. So, depending on what caste the children are, they are conditioned accordingly. Here's a breakdown. Gammas, deltas, and epsilons are conditioned to hate nature. The way the world state does this is by exposing the children to flowers and giving them an electric shock every time they touch the flowers. Over time, the children associate flowers and anything related to nature with electric shocks. In their minds, they say to themselves, Nature? No thank you. Then the children are exposed to books. Every time a child touches or opens a book, loud noises, and I mean loud, are produced. Like the flowers, here children associate books with loud noises. Again, no thank you. Clever. What the world state has done here is conditioned the children to hate nature. This means these children will grow into adults who will do their job no matter how beautiful of a day it is outside. Think about that for a moment. Have you ever been at work during a beautiful spring or summer day and found yourself staring out the window wishing your shift was over already? Well, not these adults. They're perfectly happy doing their job because nature, no thanks. Now, why have these children conditioned to hate books? Simple. Books, believe it or not, contain knowledge. It gives people ideas, and ideas, especially ideas in the mind of an independent thinker, are the most dangerous thing for those in power. So, if children hate books from a young age, they will never want to touch one, let alone open a book. And there you have it. The world state has successfully created mindless drones that care nothing for knowledge or deeper meaning in life. Which means these people will do whatever those in power want them to do. In this case, performing laborious jobs that they actually enjoy doing. Enjoy doing because they know nothing else. Because they've been programmed to love it and nothing else. Now, let's talk about alphas and betas. These children are subject to a conditioning process known as hypnopedia. In this type of conditioning, alphas and betas are given nightly recordings filled with subliminal messages. So, an example of this would be betas listening to something along the lines of, Alphas, they work much harder than we do because they're so frightfully clever. I'm awfully glad I'm a beta because I don't work so hard. And then we are much better than the gammas and deltas. Gammas are stupid. And delta children, I don't want to play with them. 
and Epsilons are still worse. They're too stupid. Play that crap over and over each night, and your beta children will be conditioned to love being betas, fear alphas because they're so clever, and think gammas, deltas, and epsilons to be too stupid to speak to. With this hardcore system, the world state has created a perfect society. Those in power can now control their entire society to do what they want them to do without the fear of rebellion. Let's go ahead and add one more thing to the mix. Those in power need to make sure that they have complete control. So, the last variable to add to the equation here is drugs. And the drug of choice is Soma, baby. Are you feeling alone? Sad? Depressed? Angry? Jealous? Basically, are you feeling? No worries. Take that Soma and kiss those feelings goodbye. Oh, did you have a thought? An independent thought? Is your mind trying to work? No problem. Drink, pop, or inject that delicious Soma into your system and kiss those thoughts goodbye. Because when you're living in the world state, you don't have to think. Those in power will do the thinking for you. So sit back and enjoy life. Be happy. Consume the products those in power give you. And partake in as many orgies as possible. Orgy porgy, baby! Let's get this life started. Let's pop them pills and start banging till the sun comes up. The rest of the novel explores how this society works under these conditions, with characters such as Bernard Marx, Lenina Crown, Mustafa Mond, and John the Savage. Bernard Marx is a bit of a rebel at the beginning of the novel. He's in the Alpha cast, which would be great for him if not for the fact that he doesn't look like an Adonis, but rather more like a Hephaestus. The reason for this is because, rumor has it, he had some alcohol seep into his tube during the hatchery process. Yikes! So, this means Bernard is short, and just plain weird. Probably that alcohol he said is an embryo. Bernard is weird. Not only does he want to date a girl and just be with her, that's right, Bernard wants a monogamous relationship. Oh shoot, he wants a relationship. That's crazy. Especially in a place where people bang each other like rabbits, and are actually encouraged since childhood to have sex with as many people as possible because everyone belongs to everyone else. Bernard has his eye on this gorgeous girl, Lenina Crown. Oh uh, yeah, everyone's had a piece of her. Oh damn, uh, that sounded wrong. But wait, this is the world state. Oh uh, yeah. But Bernard doesn't want to just sleep with her. He wants to get this, get to know her. Weird, right? He doesn't want to sleep with her either, which Lenina finds odd. But that's what interests her, his weird personality. Lenina also wants a piece of Bernard because he's talking about taking a trip to Matpais, a savage reservation in New Mexico, a place Lenina has never been to, and she wants to go. So, she puts up with Bernard's crap so she can go there. Malpais, or the savage reservation, is a place where people live the way people used to live. You know, the way we live today, kind of. Also, the name of this so-called savage reservation is interesting. Malpais. It's a Spanish word. It literally means bad country. Hmm. Doesn't sound like a place one should be excited about going to. But it's different, so let's do it. Once there, Lenina and Bernard, who totally banged back in the world state, by the way, much to Bernard's disappointment, meet Linda and her son John the Savage. 
Linda is an old, overweight lady with wrinkly skin. This causes Linnea to freak out. Why? Because in the world state, no one ages. Yeah, you heard right. Everyone in the world state is young. The old, or rather those deemed old, are released back into the earth. So, even if you die, you are still contributing to the world state by turning yourself into fertilizer for the world state. Lovely. But when Lenina lays eyes on John, she can't help but feel funny. In other words, she totally wants to shag John and find out why he's called a savage. What Lenina doesn't know is that John is a savage because he is a badass Shakespearean scholar. Yeah, you heard right. John has read all of Shakespeare's plays and memorized them. Few things go down in Malpais. However, I'll leave that for you to discover when you read this book. Shortly after, Bernard, Lenina, and John go back to the world state. John is thrilled because he gets to see where his mother Linda is from. The brave new world. John even quotes Shakespeare, he does that a lot, by saying, Oh brave new world that has such people in it. This quote is from Shakespeare's The Tempest, where one of the characters, Miranda, says these exact words when she sees people come into the island she's lived on since birth outsiders who she believes may be cool peeps. But little does she know, these aren't cool peeps. And the same goes for John. While in the world state, two things happen to John. First, he is disgusted by the way of life here. He cannot fathom how people live without feeling, without reading, without thinking. This place isn't a brave new world. It's nothing but a beautiful nightmare. Second, John falls in love with Lenina. I mean, he can't help himself, he's attracted to her, and he tells her that he's in love with her. Lenina is amazed and thrilled, thrilled because she's been dying to sleep with John since the moment she saw him. So when John reveals his feelings for her, Lenina rips her clothes off and says, take me baby, do what you want to me. I'm paraphrasing here. John freaks out and slaps her across the face and calls her a strumpet. That's Shakespearean for whore. The reason he does this is because John wants love like the love Romeo felt and expressed for Juliet. Keep in mind that John's education is basically coming from Shakespeare's plays. Lenina gets scared and runs into the bathroom and locks herself inside. John then gets a call from the hospital where his mom is in a soma-induced coma. What is this you say? Well, again, you'll have to read the novel to find out. Not long after, John meets the big cheese himself. The world controller, Mustafa Mond. Mond is the top of the top of the world state, and these two have a deep and powerful conversation. Of course, this happens after John loses his mind at the hospital and gets arrested for all the chaos he causes. Side note, if you're wondering what happened to Bernard, well, I'm sad to say that Bernard was a fake-ass dude. He became popular in the world state because he brought the savage to the world state, and now, despite his unappealing looks, he was sleeping with all the women he wanted and popping Soma for days. Straight up fake. John and Mond have a heavy debate on Shakespeare and religion. Mond and John have a brief rap battle by spitting Shakespearean lyrics at one another. Then the debate religion. Mond tells John that religion causes nothing but problems for people via war. So Mond says that instead of all that pointless violence, it's better to strip that from the people so that they can all live comfortably. John doesn't like the sound of that. He responds by saying, But I don't want comfort. 
I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. Hell yeah. You tell him, John. But Mond, being the controlled controller that he is, hits him back with a disturbing response that, while you know it's wrong, it actually makes a lot of sense. He says, You're claiming for the right to be unhappy, not to mention the right to grow old and ugly and, and, and impotent, the right to syphilis and cancer, the right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind. Let those words sink in for a second. Think about it. The man makes a good point. They both do. Now, did you catch all that? Mond, the top dog himself, actually reads books. He's read Shakespeare, but he would never allow anyone else to read. Why? Because he knows the power books contain. That sweet tasting knowledge. The knowledge that can give individuals ideas. So, what happens at the end of the novel? Well, that's for you to find out. Now, you've got two choices. The easy way or the hard way. Easy way is to go online and look up a summary of the book and find out. Or you can actually read the book. But remember, if you choose the easy way, then all that proves is that you have no power over your own mind. How do you know the internet is right? But if you actually do decide to read the novel, then you're already a step ahead of the majority of people. People who have no power over their minds. Why did Aldous Huxley write this book? The simple answer is to send a warning to the world. That warning being that if people don't use their minds to think for themselves, if people don't discipline themselves in mind and body, and if people allow the media and politicians to fill their heads with nonsense and partake in endless orgies, both literally and figuratively, then the world is doomed. The individual, the independent thinker, will become a thing of the past. Ultimately, what Huxley was driving at with this novel was, can the human being be designed and controlled from uterus to grave for its own good? The answer is yes. However, for its own good is questionable. In the world state, its citizens were controlled through genetic engineering, consumerism, and drugs. One way to look at this is to picture how our world is run. Karl Marx once said that religion is the opiate of the masses. In Brave New World, Soma is the opiate of the masses. So, in other words, the world state worships Soma, drugs, partakes in a hedonistic lifestyle, and has given up independent thought completely. All this sounds very familiar, don't you think? Huxley's own words, Brave New World is a book about the future, and whatever its artistic or philosophical qualities, a book about the future can interest us only if its prophecies look as though they might conceivably come true. And he's right. The best books, especially in the science fiction genre, are the ones that feel like they may come true. And here, Huxley's nightmarish society of a controlled human isn't a question of whether it will happen. It already has. We are living Huxley's nightmare. Don't think so? Well, let me ask you. Do you have an iPhone? If you do, why do you have it? Is it something you wanted? Or is it something you were told you needed? Why do you get up in the morning and go to work? Is that something you want to do? Or is it something you're told you need to do? 
Whether we want to believe it or not, we are controlled by the Mustafa Mons of our world, and there's not much we can do about it. According to Huxley, we are slaves to our governments. Happy slaves, mind you. And the most disturbing part of all this is that we, the people, are not the alphas or the betas, no. We are the gammas, deltas, and epsilons. The alphas and betas, those we see as world leaders, and the Mustafa Mons, well, those are the people we never see. We are the puppets in this caste system, and the Mons, the puppet masters. I'd like to add one last thing Huxley said. Today, it seems quite possible that the horror may be upon us within a single century. It's nearly been a century since Huxley wrote those words. If we look closely at the way things in our society have been going, well, he was right.